In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you do not hear what I'm about to say and think that I am complaining or grumbling or anything like that because that is not the case. Uh, Tiffany and I are so blessed to be able to live uh, across the parking lot there in in the parsonage. It's a wonderful blessing. But there is one small little problem. Uh, And that is that we have a hard time because of where the house is situated on church property with the driveway leading to the parking lot. We have a hard time getting many of our packages delivered. Uh, Sometimes they show up days or weeks after they're they're supposed to. I I don't know if they just can't find us. Uh, Once or twice they've been delivered to the neighbors. They're just confused about the address. Uh, uh, A number of times actually we've gotten these panicked phone calls from delivery drivers at 9.30 at night as they're trying to finish up their routes and they just haven't been able to find us all day. One time, that panicked delivery driver had to ask the prayer shawl ladies where our home was located. He, he couldn't figure it out even though I left him detailed instructions. And then a few times, the packages just never show up. No explanation. We don't know where they disappeared to. They just aren't there. It's, it's a very minor inconvenience, but I bring it up to ask you this important question. Do you ever feel like God's gift of joy to you is like one of those packages? Like, like maybe it was delivered to the wrong house. <laughs> you were waiting for it, ex- expecting it, but then it certainly didn't come to you, so it must have come to someone else. Or maybe like God's gift of joy to you, whether it's this Advent or any time, has gotten lost in the mail, or maybe sometimes you wonder if, if it's ever going to show up for you. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like it has some days. As I said at the beginning of the service, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of God's gifts highlighted by our Advent uh, candles there, his gifts of hope and peace and love and joy. But as I thought about it this week, It seemed to me as though God's gift of joy might be the most elusive of all those gifts. Joy is one of those things that we are constantly looking for, we're we're searching after, and we never seem to find it when we want it. Uh, Other times it seems like when we do have it, it very easily slips through our fingers. Joy is one of those things that's here today and gone, well, later today. I think most of us would not complain if we had a little bit more joy in our lives. In fact, I don't think you can have too much joy, can you? That's not a problem any of us have dealt with. Certainly not one that I have have struggled with, too much joy. What we do have too much of, if anything, is joy's antithesis, joy's opposite, and that is anxiety. We live in an anxious world. In in fact, study after study is showing that the people today are more anxious than ever before. And, and I think it's because even in this advanced technological world we live in where we have more and more and more, sometimes more brings more anxiousness, more to worry about. There, there are some things we are anxious about today that we have always been anxious about. Family trouble, uh, sicknesses, death of loved ones, we're anxious about those things. There are the things that have always been out there that maybe 30 years ago we didn't know about, problems on the other side of the world, natural disasters, nuclear threats that because of our televisions and phones and internet we, we become anxious about today. And, and then there are all of the, the little things that make us anxious, right? We might wake up at two in the morning wondering, did I email my coworker back? I know I meant to. I, I thought I did. Did I do that? Or, 
We become anxious about crafting the perfect text message to our kids, one that is loving and encouraging, but not overbearing, uh, not too parental. We become anxious over any number of things. Our our president's latest tweets at three in the morning. There is so much to be anxious about today. Sometimes it is that anxiousness, that worry that fills us in this age we live in. It robs us of our joy. And we wonder, where is our joy? Did it get delivered to someone else? Is it just running a few days late? Is it ever going to come to me? Where's joy? Well, I think that a good place to start, if we're looking for joy, searching for joy, wondering where to find it, I think a good place to start is in the life of the Apostle Paul. If you've read anything by Paul, any of his letters in the New Testament, and he wrote so much, you would know that he's a joy-filled man. He's constantly writing about it, reflecting on it, thanking God for it, even commanding his recipients to to be joyful and to rejoice in the Lord. Again, he says, rejoice. Uh, Sometimes you read Paul and it's like, oh my goodness, enough, Paul. I get it, you're a happy guy. Uh, Don't rub it in. And and even today in our reading from 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 9, we heard about more of that joy. Paul expresses his joy for the Thessalonians. Now, on the one hand, that does not surprise us because, again, Paul is a very joy-filled person. But on the other hand, if, if we know about the context and the history of that letter, we might be surprised, even shocked, that Paul can say he is filled with joy. So let, let me give you a little bit of that context, background about that letter to the Thessalonians. On one of Paul's missionary journeys, he had stopped at the town of Thessalonica. He was going about his way, making his way across the world, sharing the good news of Jesus. And one of the places he stopped was Thessalonica. And, and when he got there, he did what he always seemed to do. He found the local synagogue, the local church, and to anyone who was there and who would be willing to listen, he began to talk about Jesus and to share the hope and the peace and the joy and the truth that he found in Christ. And Paul did that in Thessalonica for, for three straight Sabbath days, two, maybe three weeks at most. And after that very short time, some of the religious leaders in town got a whiff of what he was doing. And these Jewish men did not like what they were hearing. <laughs> uh, that, that, that the norms were being challenged, that their faith was being questioned, that this Jesus man was being talked about. They did not like it. And so, and so they show up at the house where Paul had been staying with his friend Silas, a, a home of a man in town there named Jason. And they demand to have Paul, and who knows what they're going to do with him. Now, praise be to God, Paul had escaped. He'd heard that they were coming for him, and he ran literally for his life to a neighboring town. But, but Jason has to bear the brunt of the penalty. He has to pay a financial fine for his complicity in all this. And then on top of it, the Christians there are told, no more, enough, this is done, over, no more, no more Jesus. Now, maybe you can imagine how Paul is feeling. Right? He's, he's barely spent any time in Thessalonica. Three weeks, maybe, max. That's, that's not enough time to share the hope and the love of Jesus, right? There had to have been so many things. He, he wanted to tell this baby, even infant, three-week-old church about their Lord, right? So many gaps he needed to fill in. And, and he knows that now they're suffering, they're being persecuted for their faith, and, and he's got to be wondering, like, 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 could I have done more? Should I have stayed? Did I do the wrong thing in running away? And, and so we know over t- time, 
Paul expresses this deep longing to go back. Like he's just got to get back to Thessalonica to, to hear what's going on. He wants to know, are they even a church anymore, right? Or have they given up and given in to, to the, the powers that are against them? And so he longs to go back to Thessalonica, but, but the door keeps being slammed shut. He, he cannot return. And so what he does instead, he, he sends his young helper, Timothy, to, to go to Thessalonica, find out what's going on, and report back to Paul. And, and Timothy does. He goes there, he checks things out, and he reports back to Paul uh, some mixed news. He says, yes, there's still a church there. That baby church is, is still surviving, but they're suffering. They're being persecuted. Life is hard. They have questions, things they, they long to know but haven't been told. It's, it's difficult for them there. And, and so it is out of this suffering, Paul's suffering as he has had to run for his life and this deep longing he has to be reunited with them but every door is slamming shut. Knowing that these Thessalonians are suffering for their faith, uh, it is out of all that pain and suffering that Paul writes the letter today and it is out of that pain and suffering that Paul expresses his joy. And we might be wondering what's wrong with Paul, right? How could he have joy in a time like this? This is not a time to be filled with joy. This is a time to worry. This is a time to work. Uh, this is, should be a time of anxiousness. Yet Paul expresses this joy. The reason why I think Paul can have the joy that he does is because he recognizes a few important lessons about our joy, true joy, Christian joy. What Paul recognizes is that joy is not some temporary feeling and it's not some, some, some circumstance that you find yourself in that, that creates your joy. What, what Paul recognizes is that our joy, true joy, Christian joy, goes deeper than that. It's not a sail that is pushed along by the winds of the world, but our joy is an anchor that holds us firm no matter the stormy seas of life around us. What Paul recognizes is, is that we have joy, constant joy, even through the trials and tribulations of life because our joy is founded upon the, the, the immovable object, the, the unchanging character of Jesus. His joy was found in his Savior who wasn't going anywhere and in his gifts which were irrevocable. And because Paul found his joy in the person and the work of Jesus, he had joy even in the midst of life's hardest situations. Uh, as I was thinking about joy this week, uh, I just happened to, to flip through the dictionary and look up the, the dictionary definition of joy. I was kind of interested to see what Merriam-Webster would say joy is. I, and, and quite honestly, I expected it to say something that I didn't agree with, <laughs> a very unchristian message about joy being some temporary feeling. And there's some of that here, but let me share this with you. This is Merriam-Webster's definition because I found this really fascinating and, and part of it is totally to the point. This is what the dictionary says. It says, joy is evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or, and this is where it gets interesting, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Joy is evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. See, the reason why I think that Paul had joy and, and the reason why we have joy, no matter our temporary circumstances, is because we do possess that which we desire. 
And I'm not talking about all the things that are on our Christmas lists for this, this, uh, this Christmas, not everything we're asking Santa for, not cars or homes or, or things like that. But on the deepest level, the, the deepest longings and desires of our souls, we possess in Jesus. All of us here on, on some level desire, we long to be accepted, don't we? We, we long for someone to, to know us, all of us, <laughs> Uh, to the depths of us, and yet accept us as we are. We, we desire to be loved. All of us wants to be loved. And not just an empty love, a love of words, but a, but a deep love, an action-filled, a sacrificial love. We, we long to be loved. We, we long for someone to care for us and provide for us and protect us and those we care about, those we love. We, we long to be, to be free, not, not politically free, but, but free from sin, the sin which condemns us and seems to control us and, and seem to wag its, its nasty finger at us. We want to be free from sin. All of those things, acceptance, love, protection, freedom, all of those desires of our heart we possess in Jesus. In Jesus, we are accepted. He knows our sin, and yet by faith in him, we are accepted, brothers and sisters. We are loved by him, not just an empty love of, of words, but, but Jesus stretched out his arms for us, and he showed us he loved us with sacrificial action. In Jesus, we have our king who's coming, who is in control. In Jesus, we are set free from that sin as he rose from the grave so that we might live in his freedom for all eternity. We have joy, lasting joy because we possess that which we desire, our Savior Jesus Christ. Now that does not mean, and I, I think most of you know this, but it probably needs to be said, that does not mean that as Christians, because we have this joy, that we're just happy and smiling and happy-go-lucky all the time. You all know that. But what's beautiful about the joy that we have is that it so often is, is running parallel with or, or it is there right beside all of these other natural human emotions that we experience, right? All of us experience times of sadness, times of, of hurt, times of confusion about God where we're wondering what's going on. All of us have experienced maybe even anger at God at, in some particular time. But the, but the beautiful thing about our Christian joy is right alongside those, those natural human emotions of fear or, or, or sadness or anger, we are able to have joy. A joy that is founded again upon that wonderful, beautiful person and work of Jesus. In, in our closing moments, I, I just want to give you one uh, closing reminder. And it's, it's one that maybe you think you don't need, and I know some of you don't need it because you exemplify this so wonderfully, and I am blessed by it. And it might seem obvious, but I want to leave you with this reminder anyway. And, and the reminder is, is simple. It's that you, dear Christians, have permission, not from me, but from God, <laughs> you, dear Christians, have permission to be joyful. <laughs> not only to be joyful, but to express your joy. We're not always the best at that as Lutherans. Uh, and, and the truth is, sometimes as Christians, we are so busy uh, about going about the work of the Lord, trying to accomplish his will and show his love that we lose sight of his wonderful joy. We, we forget that our Lord is joyful when we are joyful. Sometimes we're 
so much better at saying, I am a poor, miserable sinner. We're so much better at confessing our sins than we are at receiving the good news and rejoicing in what our Lord has has done for us. So I want to remind you today that you have permission to be joyful and to express that joy, the joy of the Lord. And so with that reminder, I'm going to ask you to do something with me uh, this morning. And it's going to be awkward. And some of you are going to roll your eyes at me. It's going to feel awfully childish, I know, but I'm going to ask you to bear with me today. Uh, The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is to take a deep breath. Can you do that? (sighs) Let out some of that anxiety. The next thing I'm going to ask you to do is smile. Can you all do that with me? Smile. I see some wonderful smiles. The last, second to last thing I'm going to ask you to do is with that smile on your face to put your hands in the air. One is fine, two is better though. Put your hands in the air. And now repeat after me. In Jesus, Jesus, I have joy. I have joy. In his name, amen.